Welcome to the Inside OSU podcast. I'm Robin Hearn. As you probably know, tensions are on the rise between several countries in East Asia. From increased cooperation between China and Russia and new developments with North Korea's nuclear operations, much of the region and the globe is taking notice. What does all this mean for the East Asian region? How does this affect the U.S. and the rest of the world? Ted Gilman is the executive director of the Weatherhead Center for International Affairs at Harvard University. He sat down with Dr. Randy Kluver, the Dean and Associate Provost for the School Global Studies and Partnerships, to discuss the ever-changing geopolitics in East Asia. Here's their conversation on this week's Inside OSU podcast. To establish a little bit of background, you're mm -hmm. currently at Harvard University. You've been there about 15 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, previously director of the Reichauer Institute on Japanese Studies and Correct. currently director of the, the Weatherhead Center yep. for International Affairs. Yep. Can you give us just a sense of what the Weatherhead Center is and, and the kind of work it does? Sure. So we are a research center and all we do is we support research um, done by faculty, done by grad students, undergrads. Uh, we have some postdoctoral researchers as well. Um, we don't support any work on one particular country, but if you're doing work that is comparative, global, transnational, or international, um, you're eligible for funding uh, from our... So it and, gives you a great perspective on the kinds of research that are happening across the campus. Exactly. We have 240 faculty associates um, mm -hmm. across nine of Harvard's 13 schools. Mm -hmm. So it's a very interdisciplinary place, and um, we encourage uh, collaborative projects that are multi-year and um, really push the envelope of uh, predominantly social science mm -hmm. uh, knowledge and research. Well, it seems to me that this is a great position to really assess the pulse of the planet, what's <laughs> happening around the world. And so yes. from that perspective, what do you see as the maybe two, maybe three most important issues globally that Americans need to be thinking about? I think the first one of those is something that people probably aren't going to like this answer, but uh, it's uh, climate change mm -hmm. and what's happening to the environment. Mm -hmm. and. Um, I think that Americans are slower than people in other countries to recognize and acknowledge this problem mm -hmm. um, and to actually start to think about solutions mm -hmm. to it. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. And then the second biggest problem I would say facing the world is the growing inequality uh, gap between the rich and the poor. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that we see both in developed countries and in developing countries, um, that the people who have seem to have more and more, and the people who don't have are being left further and further behind. Mm -hmm. And at some point, this is going to hit a crisis point. Mm -hmm. We don't know when that is, sure. but we have to do something about it. And of course, your capacity, your, your income, that disparity, has everything to do with how well you're going to weather climate changes. Exactly. So the yeah. people who suffer are the people who are less, you know, are, are in control less of the resources. Mm. Um, and so the two issues are indeed linked. Yeah. Sure. I know that your particular area of expertise is, is Japan and East Asia, so I'd like to ask you a little bit about that. Sure. Um, Asia is a place that doesn't 
impact the American consciousness much still, <laughs> even though there's been rapid economic development, there, um, really this, the center of economic weight has shifted to Asia. Mm -hmm. So thinking just about Asia, particularly East Asia, maybe a little bit of South, Southeast Asia, what do you think are the things that we should be paying attention to as, as a nation? What mm -hmm. are the uh, critical issues that we need to engage there? Maybe they're the same, but... I mean, they are. Those, those first two issues of, mm -hmm. of en environmental change and mm -hmm. income inequality and disparity mm -hmm. are issues that challenge Asia mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I also think uh, another sort of political issue that we have to think about is uh, the rise of nationalism a less global communitarian view of the world seems to be spreading, not just in North America and in Western Europe, but also in Asia. And mm -hmm. we see that in uh, the leaders that are coming to power there mm -hmm. and some of the policies that mm -hmm. countries are pursuing. This is an area that has developed largely through global trade mm -hmm. um, and global investment. Mm -hmm. And they recognize that, but there's a bit of a pulling back mm -hmm. from that all-in sense of sure. the global economy is how we're going to yeah. make our lives better. So I think one of the things that's been surprising to many who study Asia is a, really a complete falling out in recent months of two of our strongest allies, yeah. Japan and South Korea. Can you talk a little bit yeah. about that, what's happening there? Sure. Um, it all stems from issues, you know, going back in history when Japan basically controlled Korea as a colony mm -hmm. um, and exploited its people and its resources um, in sustained and brutal ways. And a peace treaty was signed between the two countries in 1965 um, that supposedly resolved those issues. Mm -hmm. And yet in the popular view, those issues were not resolved, mm -hmm. um, in particular on the Korean side. And a recent rise in Korean court cases have mm -hmm. pulled these issues back into public consciousness and the courts have determined, the Korean courts have determined that Japan, uh, particular companies in Japan are obligated to pay reparations mm -hmm. to Korean individuals mm -hmm. who suffered and the Japanese are pushing back against this. And so when one country's court system tries to elicit payments from another country's companies, it mm -hmm. creates an international situation. Sure, and that, now there are tariffs between mm -hmm. the two that, yeah. have, that have risen. And this is all happening, of course, against the background of a rising China. Mm -hmm. And the United States, as, as well as a number of other nations, are really struggling with how do, we, how do we accommodate China? How do we create fairer trade deals if, right. if, if that's... So we've got a pretty complicated situation in East Asia. It's really complicated. <laughs> Part of the problem is it's so complicated that as an analyst, you can look at small parts of it and see what you want. If you want to see growing trade, you can find areas where the trade is growing. If you want to see tariffs and decreasing trade, you can find sectors where that's happening. If mm -hmm. you want to see conflict, you'll find conflict. If you mm -hmm. want to see cooperation, you'll find cooperation. Mm -hmm. So depending on what you look at, you, know, mm -hmm. you can find evidence for it. 
So let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is the current U.S. trade relationship with China. Yeah. And it's multidimensional. It's about trade, but it's also about um, a, a real suspicion of Chinese political ambitions, a yeah. suspicion of Chinese military ambitions. Uh, there's just a whole range of issues. Mm -hmm. Given the complexities of this issue and the importance of it, what do you think are the two or three most important principles that the United States needs to follow as we try to navigate this? Uh, so I, I think it's less about what the United States can do and more about what all the countries in the region have to do. The U.S. has been a strong player in the region, but it's pulling back. Um, it's retrenching mm -hmm. in certain important ways. Mm -hmm. um, what happens as a result is that these other countries in the region have to rethink mm -hmm. um, their own security, their own economic foundations. Uh, they have to look at some issues that have been pretty much on autopilot for about 70 years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the uh, security under a, an American nuclear uh, umbrella mm -hmm. isn't going away. Mm -hmm. But it may be that North Korea, you know, has nuclear weapons, mm -hmm. and how does that affect other countries in the region? Mm -hmm. um, do they want to do something about it, and do they rethink their own security? Right. Do you sense some of these nations that have traditionally been closely aligned with the, the U.S., mm -hmm. Korea, uh, Japan, mm -hmm. Philippines, Singapore, are they recalibrating in terms of their relationship vis-a-vis -vis China versus the U.S.? Absolutely, yes. Um, again, it's complex. Um, I think at this point in time, all those countries are working to improve their relations mm -hmm. with China. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily because relations with the U.S. seem to be on shakier ground. I wouldn't say that one is causing the other. Mm -hmm. But I think that everyone sees prudence in mm -hmm having uh, good relations with both of these strong regional powers. Mm -hmm. I, I remember the Singaporean Prime Minister basically came out and said... Just going to go there. Uh, yeah. Don't make us choose, right? Yeah. Don't, make us, don't make us make that, cho that choice. Yep. Because you might not like where we come down. Exactly, right? yeah. And, and that goes for, yeah, for all the, the parts of, the, of the, all the countries in the region. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Nobody wants to have to choose. Everybody right. would prefer to maintain relations. And of course, there's mm -hmm. a difference in the distance of the relationship. You can have mm -hmm. closer and more distant relations. But having those relations is really important mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I think over time, countries have learned that it's less likely to go to war. You're less likely to go to war with a country with whom you have relations. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So um, let me ask you to pull back a little bit, mm -hmm. shoot forward 50 years. Oh. Do we need to be doing more in terms of exposing our students and the general American population? Do, do we need to um, be making the case that, look, global politics have shifted, global economics have shifted. It's, it's much more important that you understand parts of the world that maybe historically we've neglected, Latin America, Africa, Asia. How do you, how do you approach that? How do you approach that question? Uh, I think absolutely. Um, you know, one of the realities is that countries that previously were quite poor mm -hmm. 
now have burgeoning middle classes mm -hmm. with much more purchasing power, mm -hmm. just as a starting point. Mm -hmm. um, and people in places like Brazil and China and India are able to buy things mm. in ways that they, you know, mm -hmm. that they couldn't before. Mm -hmm. If America wants to be part of that uh, trade experience, mm -hmm. people here need to know about those countries and people here need to know what they need mm. um, and understand how to do business in those places. Mm -hmm. uh, without that, Mm -hmm. They're going to be the U.S. will be left behind, and we see that now. Um, forget fifty years. Um, if tariffs go up on uh, U.S. goods, you know, other countries put tariffs on U.S. goods. They can find replacement for those goods from other sellers. Mm -hmm. And not only do American producers need to understand the economic need, but they also need to understand their own political vulnerability mm -hmm. in such a way that that. American producers can fight for their own interests mm -hmm. in Washington. Right. Now that that makes a lot of sense. And and one of the perpetual questions is: wh to what extent does trade drive politics? To what extent mm. does trade become that that glue that binds those nations together? Yeah. We we often think in terms of primarily the di the diplomatic side. Right. But trade plays a much more important role than we often realize. It does. I mean, what aspect of politics are we talking about? You know, mm -hmm. elections are not won and lost on trade. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But long-term uh, international connectivity mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. thick relationships mm -hmm. between, interdependence mm -hmm. between countries really is trade-driven. Mm -hmm. um, because once you have trade, what follows is cultural integration and social integration and mm -hmm. other kinds of uh, connections that thicken the relationship between those two trading partners. Mm -hmm. So earlier you mentioned a, l a little bit that the U.S. is, not only are other nations recalibrating, the U.S. is rethinking its position vis-a-vis -vis mm -hmm. Asia, Europe, Latin America, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, from your perspective, is it important that the U.S. continue to have a dominant political and military presence in, in the Pacific Rim? <laughs> Didn't say it would be an easy question. That is not an easy question. Uh, there are so many perspectives from which to answer that. Am I thinking of it as an American, mm -hmm. from an American interest perspective, or am I thinking of it as a political science analyst mm -hmm. looking at a region, you know, hoping to avoid conflict? Mm -hmm. um, and I think I'll start with the latter. Mm -hmm. um, Having a powerful United States uh, military in the region does seem to keep a lid on open military conflict between other countries. Mm -hmm. um, so if you want to keep countries from fighting each other, uh, beyond an occasional you know, close pass of ships and a close pass of planes, mm -hmm. uh, I think it doesn't hurt to have uh, troops, U.S. troops, in the region, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, for example, in Japan, Korea. Yeah, we have uh, you know fifty thousand troops in mm -hmm. South Korea and another mm -hmm. forty-five thousand troops in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, they are there. Yeah. Uh, to say nothing, you know, Okinawa is highly militarized and mm -hmm. is within easy striking distance mm -hmm. of uh, China and North Korea and Russia, mm -hmm. and. Um, if you pulled the U.S. out of there, the vacuum it could leave 
might be tempting to others. Hmm. Good perspective. So the, the U.S.'s presence really does help to guarantee some stability to the region. But uh, it's not infallible. I mean, just in July of this year, um, a joint Russian-Chinese um, military operation, uh, air operation, uh, happened. And as far as we know, it's the first one hmm. that they've done. Um, it resulted in warning shots being fired um, by uh, the South Korean military. Hmm. And uh, that kind of brought everybody's attention into focus and said, ooh, you know, hmm. this is not just business as usual. We need to pay attention. Special thanks to Ted Gilman for taking the time to sit down with Dr. Kluver. And that's all on this edition of the Inside OSU podcast. I'm Robin Hearn. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Thanks for listening.